I'm Julie Ross. And I'm Gregory Abbey. And you're listening to the Parenting Horizons podcast. Julie is a longtime parent educator and counselor. And Greg is an actor, writer, and director, and more importantly, a parent just like you. Through conversations covering a range of different topics, challenges, and roadblocks, we hope to give you a few of Julie's tools that might just help make parenting a little bit easier. Look, nobody's perfect, and parenting is challenging, to say the least. With a few skills under our belts, though, we might just be able to be good enough parents and enjoy the journey and our children a little bit more in the process. Okay. Okay, here Episode we go. four. Episode four. Here we are. Um, so we decided to do, uh, since the pandemic is still sort of here with us, we've obviously covered a few episodes about it but we've gotten some we've gotten some specific parent questions right so i thought maybe we could do an episode where we just answer some of these questions and i do want to say too to our listeners that if at any point when you're listening to any of the episodes that you have a specific question you want addressed you want a topic a specific topic you like us to talk about as we move along because i think as we move along obviously not every episode is going to be about the pandemic. We're doing a lot of pandemic ones now because obviously this is what's going on. Right. We're in the middle of it. Right. Still. But if you have a specific question about the pandemic, about anything else, or about a topic that you would like us to address, you can email us at julie.ross at parentinghorizons.com. So that's the best place to do it. So let's get into a couple of these. So here's one from a parent. Uh, I am struggling with my 16-year-old around motivation, especially around school and college prep. And we've gotten a couple along those lines because this was another one. Um, My kid is smart and does fine in school, but he does not push himself to do anything more than the minimum required. If a kid doesn't exhibit natural born ambition, how can a parent explain the pluses of digging in and working hard? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Wouldn't it be nice if we could just explain that? Listen, if you just dug in and worked hard. (laughs) I mean, I get the impulse because I, I can see it in my own kids. And I think everyone's felt this during the pandemic that you can get sort of lackadaisical. Sure. But what if what if a child is struggling? Because I think this woman was specifically starting and talking about school. So Mm -hmm. or maybe this child is a senior in high school Mm -hmm. and they're having to start to apply for college and they're in the malaise of covid. Mm -hmm. Is there anything specific to do? Well, you know, Greg, it brings up a couple of thoughts for me. One thought has to do with the fact that a lot of what I'm hearing recently is my kids developing bad habits. Hmm. They have no motivation. They're not learning a good work ethic. They're, you know, going on their electronics, as we've talked about in the previous episode. And I'm worried that these particular habits that they're developing are going to continue past the pandemic. So they've fallen into these habits over the past nine months, which you all have. Mm-hmm. And some of them are probably coping strategies, but some of them are probably negative, whether you're on your phone too much, you're not sleeping well, you're not doing the work that you, you're not working as hard. So how concerned should you be? Like this, this parent is basically saying to you, their concern is when the pandemic ends, this is going to continue and they've developed these terrible habits now. Right. So should we be freaked out? And my answer is no. And here's why. The pandemic is a bubble. And of course, we develop habits to help us cope within that bubble. But once that bubble is broken, those old habits won't translate. So if you think about it 
in this way. Let's say that you lived in Alaska. You would develop the habit of putting on multiple layers of clothes every single morning before you went outside, mm -hmm. right? Let's say then you move to Florida. Right. You're not going to continue to wear all that stuff. You don't need that habit anymore. So you think the idea is when the world starts to open up again, please, uh, yeah, please. that they'll start to lose, lose some of those things naturally? Oh, I think once they're back in person in school, they can't roll out of bed in their pajamas to do a Zoom class. I mean, it's just going to be a whole different level of strategies, mm -hmm. practical strategies that they will adopt or readopt if they had them before the pandemic. So I'm not so concerned about the idea that kids are developing habits that are going to last past this particular bubble of time. Well, what about this idea, though, because it is almost a full year of school, Mm -hmm. So if the child is really struggling, if, if like, you know, college applications do have to be filled out and maybe they are getting bad grades, like it's not that they're not going to count this year. If the idea is that those habits probably won't continue when it's over, is there any specific things you can do now in the moment? Well, I think part of my answer to that is that parents maybe need to think about it in a different way, because a lot of parents seem to be concerned about catching their child up to the artificial constructs that we've created in our society that are benchmarks, let's say, mm -hmm. of academic success or academic results. Where they should be in their mm -hmm. learning process. Right. So, they, so you've, yeah. you've mentioned this before. So you feel like there's some parents that are freaking out about their kids like falling so far behind because of the pandemic and development and education. Mm -hmm. And what mm -hmm. do you say to that? You know, this pandemic has disrupted everybody. It has shattered, I believe, all of the benchmarks, quote unquote, that we had originally adhered to that, you know, a, a kid goes from junior year in high school to senior year in high school. They graduate, they, they go, go to, to college. college right. And I think what's more important for us to focus on is to help kids integrate this plague with life after the plague. It's going to mean not adhering to those artificial constructs and being looser in our thinking. Mm -hmm. If we were suddenly a country that was in the midst of a war, which essentially the pandemic is a war, it's an invisible en enemy, mm -hmm. but it is a war. If we were in the midst of an actual war, we wouldn't be thinking about how to catch our kids up to being a senior in high school or going to college. We'd be thinking about survival, getting through this period of time, maintaining our relationships, keeping things he you know, as healthy as we possibly can in our mental state, and then moving forward in a more spontaneous way. I so think. you're not so rigid around how you see it. I mean, right. you're basically saying like, it's not that it's not important to have those conversations or think about it, but you have to take in the picture of what's going on. I mean, our son took a year off from college because mm -hmm. it was online and he's in film school and it just made no sense. And you can say like, oh my gosh, he's going to fall. Now he's a year behind. I mean, I think we recognize that, A, he's not going to thrive. He didn't want to do it. He was like, right. I can't deal with this. Mm -hmm. But also that he's had now, he'll remember this year and he made a short film and there were other opportunities that have come up for him, even just emotionally. Mm -hmm. 
And it seems like what you're saying is that we need to stay open to what the reality is maybe and not fall into rigid ideas of where the child should be. I, I That's absolutely what I'm saying. And and one of the main reasons for that, Greg, is what I've, I'm seeing is that parents are shaming their kids. I, I know what you mean, but what, what would you say when, when you say parents are shaming their kids? So they're on their kids so much about what their grades are and how their grades may have dropped and whether they're working or working hard enough, doing enough homework. Yeah, exactly. That what I'm seeing is a group of kids who are in what I would call a shame spiral. What's important to note about that is that shame is something that's felt almost physically by a person. When we feel shame, we will do anything to avoid the shame. Mm-hmm. We will lie, we will cheat, we will steal. Do drugs. We will do drugs. Eat. Eat, drink alcohol. We'll do anything so to you avoid mean, that shame. And you feel like that's coming from like, it seems like it could be coming from the parent, in, the parent having anxiety about this the situation, right? Mm-hmm. And then you, we talked a lot about this, maybe it was in the previous episode, that I'm. my guess is that they're functioning from a lot of you statements as opposed to I statements. Oh, sure. You need to- You need, you to-, need to pull up your bootstraps and get to work, <laughs> you lazy- Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. And, and name calling is coming into it. You're lazy, you're, you know, you're stupid. You're not working you're hard not enough. You're not working hard you're, enough. You're jeopardizing your future. Yes. And the kid just, poor kids. It's just going to retreat from that. Oh my gosh, they just get so, they spiral down. It's like digging a hole and throwing them down in it. And there's no ladder to get out. They just feel completely stuck in the dark. So what are they doing? They're giving up. Mm-hmm. Instead of buckling down, you know, the parent's goal in in saying all those things maybe is to have the kid is to motivate them i guess yeah is to and have the kid have this realization aha oh yes you're right and but nobody responds to that kind of negativity Mm -hmm. in a positive way negativity and i think we've talked about this in a previous episode negativity breeds negativity that Mm -hmm. becomes a cycle i understand why parents are concerned i do because we are pretty, what's the word for it? We conditioned? Are pretty conditioned. Well, I was thinking you you might say pretty. that they're conditioned to this idea of what success is. Yes. So I think that's a very good point. We're conditioned to what the idea of success is. And in some way, we're enmeshed with our kids hmm. and unwilling to let them have their own journey. You mean because of the pandemic or in general? I think in general. But especially in the pandemic, many parents, and I think, I mean, maybe all parents, I certainly have from time to time, seen my children as a reflection of myself. Yeah, of course, yeah. If I felt like I was unsuccessful at something in the past, and I see my child has a gift or talent for it, for example, and but they're not, they're not pursuing that, then I feel a struggle in myself with my own sense of failure. Right. From my past. So I feel like that's become even more pronounced hmm. during the pandemic, in part because our kids are under a microscope. They're underfoot. So They're we have an eye second. on them all the time. Right. Whereas, you know, they would go off to school for eight hours a day or however long mm-hmm. and come back and we wouldn't have seen them goofing off 
in class. Parents are really laser focused on this. But again, Greg, what it's causing is this spiral Retreat. of shame in, right. in kids. I'm hearing it over and over again. How do you find the balance then? Like, so let's say the child is, you feel like they're unmotivated. So let me give a concrete example maybe of this. So our daughter, one of our daughters is a really great artist and she's been drawing a little bit. And we've been trying to encourage her to take a class because we think like it would advance her and it would be something she could do and she could get better and it's something to push her. And she's been very resistant mm -hmm. to it. And I think we've felt we have felt frustrated because like we feel like it's something she could do during the pandemic. How do you deal with that? Because this parent is obviously saying my child is unmotivated. So that that's real. Right. Especially yeah, sure. maybe they're suffering at school or whatever. How do you how do you approach that maybe so you you can get ahead with with the child in that moment? So we could get my daughter to agree to do it. I mean, e even if she doesn't agree, how do you have that conversation? Uh, that's a great question. Part of me wants to say you don't <laughs> have that conversation. And, and yet another part of me is very open to having, you know, constructive conversations with our children around any topic. I think, as I've said, as we've said in past podcasts and maybe even every podcast, that the key in having a conversation is not talking as a parent. The key in the conversation is listening. Mm -hmm. So hearing the child's lack of motivation, hearing the child's reasoning behind not wanting to take on something that they clearly love for whatever reason, but just really listening with n lack of judgment. Right. Because I think most of the time when we have those conversations as parents, Greg, we're going into it with the objective of changing the child or changing sure. the child's opinion. Mm -hmm. Of course, that's going to create reluctance on the part of the child. Mm -hmm. Who wants to be a part of a conversation where someone's trying to change you? I think... Let me go back to what you what you asked, which is how do we start a conversation? about something like that. And I'm gonna say there's two components. The first component as parents is to, I think we have to adopt the attitude that COVID time is not a time to take on new things and perfect things. Right. It's not like, oh good, you have all this extra time, you don't now need to- Now you're gonna become a master artist. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> We've signed you up for these three classes. It's gonna be incredible. No, you, you don't have a say. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, no, that makes perfect or sense. I love that. language. Right, right, right. You know, You're right. Like, this is not the time. I this mean, we're like literally time. in a worldwide trauma, essentially. Yes. So that's great. So we have to change our attitude about it. Now, if you still want to have a conversation, I mean, you know, let's say it's not even about something extracurricular. Let's say it's about something as fundamental as your kid is failing. Right, some classes, right, right. Sure, which, which could be a reality. I'm, I'm sure some kids have really struggled with this. Of course. You know, the stakes are higher than I would say, mm -hmm. than if we're talking about something Or like optional. this woman said around college, maybe he's like not dealing with like applying to school and stuff and dealing with applying to colleges. But maybe then the answer is like, it might not be the time. I mean, I, it would probably yeah. be really extreme to take a year off, but I'm sorry. So no, I think what you said is very accurate. I think- Given given the pandemic, I, I just love what you said. Like this is not the time. College is a little different, but it's everyone is struggling with this emotionally, psychologically is so so challenging. So to insist on something not helpful. You know, it's not. I think you can say to your child, you know, I know that you're. It seems like you're really struggling with motivation around school, 
and that must be hard. So that's that basic listening that we've talked about mm-hmm. in every episode about empathy and trying to see it from their point of view. Right. And, and maybe saying, of, I'm worried about it, as opposed to, you need to get it together and start working harder. Precisely. We don't want to have a you statement that's disguised as an I statement, mm-hmm. as we talked about in episode two. It's very important, or episode three, probably all the episodes. <laughs> it's probably come up, yeah. All it's a, the that's episodes. a good one to, to, to go <laughs> circle back to. Right. We don't want to disguise our criticism as empathy. So if we're coming at this from the point of view of, I want you to change, I want you to find a way to motivate yourself, versus we're coming at this from the point of view of, you seem unhappy. Mm. And, you know, what's this experience being, you know, what, what is being in a pandemic? What is that experience like for you? And is there any way that I can help? Mm-hmm. And not help you get your work done, although that may be the result of that. But I think we really have to be clear that as parents, we should be putting our children's mental health right. above their academic success. Especially right now, that's that's the thing that we have to deal with if you want to get to any underlying stuff. Right. Which leads me, excellent segue, Julie. Ah, oh, thank you, Greg. This is from a parent. I worry so much about isolation and trying to monitor young children's mental health. What are signs of depression versus the blues? That is a great question. So I'm going to assume that this parent is talking about clinical depression Mm -hmm. as opposed to the depression that we might all feel from time to time during the grief process, which is a, a stage. So when we're talking about clinical depression, we're really talking about seeing a trend that lasts for two weeks or more, and pretty much every day. Hmm. So it could be sleeping all day, mm-hmm. not being able to get out of bed. It could be crying on a daily basis. And again, we're talking two weeks. It could be, I don't want to say lack of motivation because <laughs> because I think a lot of kids, that's part of their pandemic response to remote schooling. I think that, you know, it's very hard for some kids to do remote schooling. But a lack of interest, I would Mm -hmm. say, in things that previously had interested them and that they could be doing at home. If that stuff has fallen away. If that stuff has fallen away. talking to friends or whatever their hobbies might be that they were previously into that now are gone. Precisely. Or shut down. They're not doing them. Precisely. And of course, we have to discount from that list the physical activities that they may have been engaged in that they can't engage in because of the pandemic, Mm -hmm. right? So if they played basketball on a team or another indoor sport, which just got shut down, uh, of course, they are not going to be motivated to go and do that because it's not accessible to them. So we want to look at if their interests have just flatlined, Mm -hmm. if they're crying every day, if they are sleeping all day, Mm If they are not engaging with even family members. Well, and it seems like the key to that too, what you've said is that if it's over a certain period of time, because everyone's going to have a day or even two where they might have been a malaise. Or even a week, right? Right. I mean, you know, for myself, there have been, there, you know, I've had a week long, you know, stint of just being like, well, I just can't. I, I can't just deal. Can't. I can't deal. Right. It's too much. Mm-hmm. I don't want to deal. And I even get cranky about it. I'm not going to do that. 
you know? So that's understandable. But when we, we really want to look at a period of two weeks. That, to me, then says that this should be evaluated by a professional. I guess that's the next question then. So if mm-hmm. you're in that situation, and we can talk about the what the blues is differently, but if, if you feel the child's in a depression, then it, it's time to seek potentially professional help, which would be a therapist, potentially, maybe. Yeah, or an evaluation. A, right. a, a psychological evaluation to determine whether or not this is clinical depression and needs to be addressed with therapy or potentially medication, mm-hmm. or whether this is just a a dip, you know, a dip in the mood that is everybody's going to experience. Which is totally natural given what we're in the mid- middle of. For sure. I would be very surprised if not, if every single person had not experienced yes. a dip yeah. in their mood. You know, this is, it's tough times. Okay, here's one around exercising. Okay. Uh, In the very beginning of COVID, my two teens were exercising together and even cooking. Now with remote learning, they sit in their beds, no sports, no dance, no physical activity. I worry not just for their physical well-being, but their mental health. Moving your body helps you emotionally balance yourself and be able to sleep. My kids don't want to take online classes because they are online all day for school. Mm -hmm. So, I mean exercise is such a big part of mental health. I mean, I know I run a lot and yoga and it's part of my own well-being. Are you allowed to sort of, are you allowed to insist that that be a part of your child's Well, you're allowed to, whether you get a result from it is going to be dependent upon the age of your child. Obviously, when we have teenagers, that's a very different story from if you've got children who are even maybe pre-adolescence and younger. For the younger kids, you can certainly insist on it, not insist on them taking a Zoom class you would have to model it. You'd have to say, okay, family walk time. Here we go. We're going to go out you know, whatever, and we're going to walk a mile or two miles or whatever it might be. And you're allowed to lay the law down around that? Well, when- Or you can try, I guess, when, is what you're saying. When they're little, it's easy to kind of lay down the law. For one thing, they're so focused on pleasing you as the parent, mm-hmm. you know, when they're five or eight, right? And they're like, oh, okay, I'll go and spend time with mom and dad walking you know, or with my parents walking down the, the street. And then they get to that age, Greg, where, you know, you just can't control them anymore. <laughs> and that was very distressing for me to hear. There was going to come an age when I couldn't control them anymore. And yet, right. there it was. Happened to me yeah. too, you know. So the best that you can do when you've got a teenager, first of all, role modeling is still very important. Mm-hmm. See if you can set up a family walk, right? Or a family bicycle ride Mm -hmm. or you know if you have the ability to hike a family hike that's a great thing to do some of that during the winter depending upon what part of the country you live in is going to be more challenging versus less so you want to try that you can't force them you can't control them so you can't force them to do anything your best bet is to engage them in a conversation right to talk about how endorphins are a very important component in mental health And there are a couple of ways to get those endorphins going. But the the healthiest way is going to be to do some sort of physical activity. Well, and you said this about the when we talked about electronics, because if you feel like it's really extreme and detrimental, especially like if a kid has the blues or something, so you're feeling like, okay, this is really imperative that they have some physical activity, Mm -hmm. that if you engage them in the conversation, like, hey, I really think 
we've got to sort of fold this into our life a little bit, even if it's just a little bit every day or every other day. Is there something you could do that you would feel? Because I'm I'm now at a point where like you literally haven't left the house for seven days and I'm just worried about the lethargy or your energy seems down or you seem a little blue. What can what do you think you would want to do? Do you want to go for a walk? There's an elliptical in the gym downstairs. Is there something is that the idea? I mean, you're probably going to get a little further if you bring them into it. Oh, yeah. There's no question. And you still think it's okay, right? I mean, it's okay to sort of insist a little bit. Whether I mean, they might not do it, but you can say like a lot, like with electronics, you said, if it's really bad, you if they're not willing to engage, you can lay down a law about electronics. And maybe is it the same? I don't know if you want to lay down, lay down a law is not a great phrase for it, but that the idea is to bring them in. You just have a greater chance of it happening. Right. So it's it's similar to electronics in that you can bring them into the conversation and you can in, try to engage brainstorming with them to get some buy-in to mm-hmm. you know whatever the limits are that you're willing to set or can set. The problem, the difference between electronics and physical activity is that if they don't agree to certain limits on the electronics, you can take the electronics away. Mm. But you can't force them to <laughs> right. walk. You know, you can't put them on a leash like yeah, a puppy. You're right, right. You know, you so can't. I I know. <laughs> you tried it too. <laughs> I tried it. It didn't work. Yeah, and so the problem is that you can lay down the law, but you don't have a consequence that you can back that up with. So you have to be willing to to appeal to their intellect. Their whatever level of reasoning they have at at a specific developmental stage, a willingness to engage with them in that activity so that they don't feel like they have to do it alone. Probably part of the problem with like Zoom classes and stuff is it's so isolating. I mean- Well, they're also just so burned out because they're on a computer all day. Exactly. You know, and also as a a person myself who went to the gym on a very regular basis- I went and took classes at a gym. So I was in a studio with a bunch of people Mm -hmm. and that was motivating. When it's on a screen, it's not motivating. Like you're not, you don't feel that connection. Yeah, of course, it's not the same. I mean, it also seems like what you already said about sort of recognizing the moment, you know, that we're in. So these ideas, like they're not going to start some Olympic training now during the pandemic. So to have these goals, like I think it's it's okay to be like, I, mm-hmm. I really feel like this is important that we sort of fold this in. But your expectations have to shift a little bit given where we're at. Absolutely. In part because if we don't shift our expectations, then we are communicating to our children that we're not really listening to what their experience is right now, we're only listening with the goal of getting them to change. And that's a problem because the minute they feel like we're trying to manipulate them into doing what we want them to do, the brakes are going to go on. And again, we're talking about a specific developmental stage. Like pre-teens and teenagers. and teens, yeah. Because before that, kids really... If they're getting their mommy and daddy's attention, that's really all they want. Right. So they're happy to go out and play and run around. I mean, I can't tell you when I go out to the park, you know, all of these kids on their their little bicycles and their scooters and and they're not the teenagers, you know, they're with mommy and daddy, they're, or you know, with a caregiver, but they're with their parents and they're feeling like, oh, this is family time and yay, and that's wonderful. Right. You know, of course, teenagers, that's against their developmental code is they don't 
really yeah, want I mean, to be with, my, no, with their parents. No, they not only want don't want to be with you, but anything you suggest, they that they were like, oh, that's what you'd like. I'm going to do the opposite of that. <laughs> for sure. But thank you for that suggestion. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay. Here's another one. All right. This parent writes, my 2.5 year old is on her way now to get a COVID test having a cough. She has a cough. Needs test to return to daycare. Not sure we explained it well. She was so much younger when this all started and we didn't need to really explain much. She will be three in December though. And more and more, there are things coming up we need to explain. Testing, staying home from daycare, keeping thumb out of your mouth, seeing family indoors at times and outsides at others. I want to explain in a clear way, in a way that is clear, appropriate, but not oversharing and not colored with all our adult worry. That's a good one because my kids are older, so it's not something I think about. So, wow, I don't know. I'm glad that you're here because I have no idea <laughs> about this one. If you have a two or three-year-old, yeah. how much are you talking about COVID? Well, you're talking about it as much as they need or want to talk about it. So, so you're this, letting them lead it. Yeah, and this kind of falls into the category of how to talk about difficult subjects with a child at any age. Okay. Because the, there's kind of rules of thumb. You want to be truthful, keep it simple, and then answer only the questions that you're asked. Okay. So be what, truthful, keep it simple, answer only the questions you're asked. Because my right. guess is sometimes parents feel this obligation to go overboard. Oh, yeah. And is this true of any age or you're talking more developmentally that idea with younger kids? E every age. Okay. Because parents have a tendency, as you said, to go overboard in the form of over-talking. And over-talking about a subject communicates itself to the other person as anxiety about it. As oh. you should worry about this because I'm going to have to explain it. And I'm going to explain every detail to you. And I'm going to tell you using lots and lots of words. And some of them will be scientific words and some of them will just be words to right. fill in and all like the gaps you've said, because I'm scared to stop. Uh, there's a huge percentage of how you communicate is also with your body language. So you're saying yes. that the child is internalizing all this anxiety. At, oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and Oh, fail. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so great. Less is more. Less keep is it always truthful, more. Keep it simple. Right. So, okay. you know, in a situation with a three-year-old, you would want to say, we're going to go to the doctor. And you're going to have a test to see what your cough is about. And that's enough. That's enough. You don't have to go into the minutia of COVID, I would think, right? I n mean, with a three-year-old? No, you shouldn't. Now, right. if the child says, well, why? Then you can say, because we need to know if you have med need medicine. So if you have an inquisitive three-year-old, what you're saying is if they're dictating it, then it's okay. Exactly. But if you say that and the child's like, mm. Okay. Exactly. There's no reason to go. There's a global pandemic going on. Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, kind of to the point of only, you need to make sure that you understand the question your child is asking. And the story what, that What I does like, that mean? What do you mean? Understand this, the question. Yeah. The story that, that I like to tell about this, Greg, is about a preschooler who said to their parent, where did I come from? And so the parent, you know, goes, oh, okay. 
We're ready. This is going to be the big talk, right, about how babies are made. Well, you came from, you know, in that particular case, you know, mommy's womb. And the way you got there was, you know, the sperm met the egg. And, 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 you know, and the child's just looking at this parent like, (laughs) What? what are you talking about? And finally said, the child said, no, Susie came from Georgia. Where did I come from? So they'd had a classmate who said, you know, I'm, I from-, came, I'm from Georgia or I'm from, you know, right. wh- wherever, North Dakota. And th- so they're like, well, where did I come from? And that was all it was. And that was all it was. And so the parent filled in all of these gaps and the kids just deer in the headlights. What? Yeah are you even talking about, right? So in situations like that, where the question could be vague, there's two ways to approach that. The first is to say, well, what do you mean, where did you come from, right? Or, Mm -hmm. you know, what do you mean, why do we need to get a test at the doctor? Just a very simple question. Or if you start an explanation, really pay attention to your child's facial expression. And if they just look completely lost. Yeah, you know you're off. Yeah, you know you're off. Here's another story that I think is kind of funny too. My daughter, when she was in, she was about five or whatever, she said, mommy, what's an eighth? An eighth? Well, that's what I thought she said. Okay. And I said, oh my, I thought, oh my gosh, she's brilliant. She's thinking (laughs) fractions. I said, well, you know, if you take a pizza, right? And you have eight people and they all want a slice of pizza. You cut it into eight different sli- slices and you give one person, you know, a slice and that's an eighth. She said, I don't understand. I said, okay, well, let's say you have a cake. Let <laughs> me pick a different food. <laughs> I, Maybe I just this picked will... <laughs> a different food. And you cut it up. You know, I went through the same explanation like three different times with three, three different food groups. And, and she's still looking at me. She goes, no, mommy, what is an ape? and i was like holy cow okay so i i had no idea what she was really asking and that's a funny explanation right that's you know but we often because of what our thoughts are or where we are mentally or emotionally we interpret our children's questions in a particular way right right so to make sure that you're answering to make sure that you're answering the question you've actually been asked, it's mm-hmm. okay to say, what do you would actually- Get some clarity around yeah, it. Yeah, you can get right. some clarity around it so that you don't go meandering off into this d- direction, which is funny when we're talking about apes versus fractions, right? but not necessarily going to be so funny when we're talking about a global pandemic or, and sex. Trying to explain it, or right. sex and right. trying to explain that to a child before they're really ready to hear any so of that. So do you feel like, how is it different with a two and a half year old and a- 17-year-old, 16-year-old. I mean, it's the same ideas, obviously, I guess, is what you're saying. Mm-hmm. You can still say, keep it truthful, keep it simple, mm-hmm. only answer the questions you're asked still? Well, yes. But what changes, I think, is what questions you're asked by a 17-year-old versus a three-year-old, right? So, or what information, what difficult information you might need to convey to a 17-year-old than you... Versus a three-year-old. Mm-hmm. So, with a seventeen-year-old, some of the ways in which this might be helpful is if you know, if unfortunately you're having to tell them about someone who has a terminal illness, you want to be truthful, you want to be simple, 
and then you want to leave room for them to ask the questions. Same thing if you're getting divorced, right? You want to be truthful, one sentence. Mm-hmm. You want to be, keep it, you know, use the terminology. You want to keep it simple, one sentence or two sentences. So the child doesn't get overwhelmed, I guess, right? Right, exactly. Okay. You know, or the team. So this is great. So this is any big topic. This is how you should approach it. Any big topic. And so and so that you can say, and you pause and you say, tell me if you, what questions you have. The pausing is the key, right? I mean, that's the key, of course, to keep you from over over talking. Right, right, because your anxiety, anxiety takes over, and yeah, exactly. So I think that's a it, it's a great question on the part of this parent who has a two and a half year old, you know, who's turning three and now, you know, more aware of the world that's going on because it's applicable, but in different circumstances to children across the broad spectrum of developmental stages. I think it's actually great. Um, well, I like what she said about, because she wants to make sure she's boundaried around it. And I guess the idea, it's a great its a great idea that you don't want to go the other direction and be in denial. Like, let's pretend like nothing's happening, which, you know, I know a lot of parents can be like that too. It's like the bury the head in the sand, which is going to have its own repercussions for the kid, right? And you, But you don't need to over-explain either. That just seems like a really simple rule to follow to say truthful, simple, ask, answer only, the only questions you can. Because I think that's the idea is that you have an on, honest conversation about it, but you don't want to get overwhelming either. Absolutely. And, you know, a lot of time what happens is that it does overwhelm the child. The child, it, you know, whether they're a teen or a toddler, only has the capacity to take in cer- a certain amount of information before, before they shut it out. Mm-hmm. So this ensures that you keep that valve free so that they can open it, get a little bit of information, and then shut it so that they have the ability to process what you told them before they think about the next thing. Right. And they also might even come back to you later on, right? Oh, yeah. If they have more questions. Yeah. And actually, parents should encourage that. Parents should say, you know, if you have any further questions, I'm always here to answer, you know, or your other parent is always here to answer. Thanks for listening to the Parenting Horizons podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share with your family and friends. And if you'd like to hear more about Julie's work, join one of her parenting groups, or see about individual counseling, please visit ParentingHorizons.com. Or you can email Julie at julie.ross at ParentingHorizons.com. See you next time.